Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the hump day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you today. It's another day closer to college football. Chance to get back at Davis Wade Stadium. we got a bigger game coming in. We'll look at LSU today, kind of break some things down. Broke down the Ed Orgeron press conference yesterday. A lot of interesting things that he said there, but we'll, uh, we'll look at the Tigers. A lot to talk about, as always. Excited about the week. I really am. Um, I don't know how I feel about the game just yet. Need another day or two. It's like the more that I look at LSU, it's like, you know, you know how it is initially. You look at what's the helmet sticker. Yeah, it's LSU, and they, they've always kind of had our number, you know, which is true. Uh, because that Orgeron, number one, is an elite recruiter, and Les Miles was as well. I mean, you, you talk to Tiger people, they say, well, you know, Les did this, Les did that. I mean, listen, Les had – you know, LSU competing for the SEC West regularly. I mean, some of the most highly rated games for TV numbers the last several years have been LSU and Alabama. And a lot of people used to pull for Alabama. Not everybody pulls against Alabama. I mean, nobody feels sorry for Nick Saban, I can promise you. But Ed Orgeron, even when he was at Ole Miss, did a great job, whether they cut corners or not, did a great job recruiting up there. And, you know, when you're chasing players, too, that are also cutting corners, you still got to beat other teams that are cutting corners. Uh, but the reality of it is that Orgeron is one of the better recruiters in the country and has had that reputation for a long time, the better part of 20 years. So, yeah, LSU is going to have athletes. And we saw some of that last week. You know, Deion Smith, former Mississippi State commitment Deion Smith, flipped from LSU to from Mississippi State to LSU and uh, had his kind of a breakout game last weekend. And, and watching that Orgeron's press conference – you know, when you ask about some of those young receivers, he just kind of grins. You know, kind of like he got over on everybody. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, too, when when you have the players, you know, you you usually win. You know, it's just like uh, I was watching Brandon Walker's show earlier. Brandon Walker is my friend. I know some of you don't really care for uh, the language that he uses on air, and I, and I get it. I'm from South Mississippi. My mama told me not to cuss in public, but uh, – but anyway, you know, Brandon makes a good point, too, is that uh, you're talking about Shane Beamer's comment about the, uh, you know, 100 five-star players at Georgia. You know, sometimes the other guys are just better. You know, sometimes that's no matter what you do, no matter what you call, no matter what you scheme up, you know, sometimes the other guys are just better at football. We always talk about the old expression, it's not always X's and O's, but Jimmy's and Joe's. There's some truth in that. You might be able to get somebody slipping every now and again, but uh, you better have players. That's one thing Jackie Sherrill used to always say, too, is you got to have players. You got to have players. Because what happens, too, is, you know, good players can overcome bad play calls. I remember when I played uh, high school football, I had a guy named Chuck Lick that was our ninth grade football coach before I went to play for Coach uh, Bowser for a year. But, uh, Lick used to always say late in a ball game, he goes, okay, we got to call a play that gets the ball in the hands of our playmaker. We need to give our guy a chance. And then we had a guy named Anthony Preston that uh, we would always try to find a way to get him the football. And it didn't really matter what we called because half the time he wouldn't run it. You, know, you just give it to him. He just kind of get out there and create on his own. I don't know what kind of college player he would have been. He was a guy that got wrapped up in a, in a shooting that uh, ended up going to prison. But um, Anthony was one of those guys we had a lot of faith in. You know, we wanted the football, but at the end of the day, you'd always defer to him because you knew he was better. 
and other teams knew that he was better. So they would kind of, you know, focus on him. And that's kind of how this situation is with us. You know, I, I look at this situation with Tulu Griffin. Talked, asked Mike Leach specifically about that, you know, on Monday. Because we did that review and we talked about it on the show a little bit. You know, uh, Tulu Griffin is one of Mississippi State's most explosive players and that uh, did not have a catch Saturday against Memphis. And so, you know, those are things you look at and you begin to ask yourself, okay, why does this happen? You know, this is a guy, obviously, that is still kind of coming into his own, so let's be fair about that. But he has shown that he is electric with the football in his hands. And so when you have an offense that is struggling a little bit, you know, in the red zone especially, you got to find a way to get a guy the football that can make you a play. And that's kind of how I see this deal you know, with, uh, with Tula Griffin, you know, much like Anthony Preston, uh, even though Anthony would dwarf Tula Griffin, you got to find a way to get the ball in his hands. You got to find a way to kind of get, give him an opportunity to make a play for you. And so I asked Michael Leach specifically about that, you know, just kind of about, Hey, what's, you know, what about Tula Griffin? Didn't have a catch. And so Mike made a couple comments. I want to share with you in case you haven't read or seen these. You know, they're aware of this. It's one of the things, too, that it kind of irritates me at times. You know, like people kind of create their own reality. It's like you go ask a coach a question, and it's like, oh, well, you know, Tula Griffin's getting ignored. And so I I go ask the question kind of on you guys' behalf. You know, they asked him, number one, about kick returns. You know, he he had the big return, obviously, against, uh, against Tulsa. You know, won the MVP of the Armed Forces Bowl game. And it proved that it wasn't a fluke. Goes out, has the big return of 70 yards against Louisiana Tech to kind of spark the comeback. And then he has, of course, the big return against NC State to kind of get that game rolling. He had one return for 19 yards against Memphis. And to their credit, you know, and I talked about that on the show last week, so it shouldn't have been a real surprise. Memphis didn't have a quarter a kicker that could uh, consistently get a touchback. And so what do you do? Well, you can't really kick it to them. So they, they did have one directional kick where they kind of pinned him to the far sideline. But more times than not, they just kind of squibbed it down the field. They were kind of content to give it, let us have it at a 35 rather than have him get something in plus field position. And so I guess it was Theo DeRosa that, of the Columbus Dispatch that asked Mike about, you know, what was different returns. And, and Mike says, well, the biggest thing is block. We didn't block well. There's a return that's nearly identical to the one we brought back against NC State. The difference is we blocked against NC State. We didn't block against Memphis. And so there's probably some truth to that. But, you know, we should go ahead and prepare for the fact there are going to be a lot of teams kicking away from Tulu Griffin. And when we get an SEC play, you're going to have a lot of kickers that can consistently put the ball in the end zone. That's not to say that Tulu won't bring it out because he will. And sometimes the discretion is a better part of ours. Sometimes better to take it at the 25. But that guy's a real weapon for us. But we didn't really fully utilize them against Memphis. And I don't necessarily say that at a criticism. I'm just kind of pointing out the, fo- the fact that we all kind of saw it. I said, Coach, what does he need to do to be more involved in the offense? Here's Mike's comment. We need to get him more involved, and we've talked about that some. Right now, what he does best is kick return, but I do think he's a good receiver, really good on screens. We've got to get him more and more involved. He was kind of in and out of camp, and that's true. There was, I think it was concussion protocol. You know, he missed probably a week or so at camp. And so he's probably maybe conditioning-wise a little bit behind where he'd like to be, but I've been certainly good enough to play. But that's a subject of nearly every meeting we have. 
then sometimes he'll disappear on you. But he is kind of an intense guy on what he's able to do. We've got to get it all ironed out. He started about nine games also. We need to get him rolling. We need to get him rolling. And, and that's what you want to hear, right? But the, at the end of the day, too, and, and we're a big proponent here on uh, the Boneyard of uh, seeing the proof in the pudding. There's a lot of people that win the press conference but don't win the ball game, and that's what we want to do. I, I don't really concern myself too much, you know, with things that are said and done in press conferences. I mean, I go there to get you guys some answers and ask the questions that I believe you guys are curious about. But, you know, it's like, yeah, we can say we want to get him rolling. Well, let's get him rolling. And so I suspect that he'll be a bigger part of the game plan this weekend against LSU. And we need him to be because of the fact that Tulu Griffin is an SEC caliber athlete. He is the guy that can run with those LSU DBs. That's one of the things, too, I go back to. I kind of scratched my head a little bit, too, with this. And I touched on this a little bit on Monday's show. It's uh, one of the things that I hear from people, and it's kind of consistent, and it's kind of an inconsistent school of thought. It's all the air raid won't work in the SEC. And then the next breath, we say, well, we got receivers running wide open. Well, which is it? Either the air raid's not going to work or it's working, and maybe we're just not delivering the football just yet. And, again, we've got a young quarterback. I was reading some things earlier today about Steve Spurrier made some comments years ago about young quarterbacks. You know, he said, you just got to let them play, let them figure some things out. You got to coach them up. And that's what we're doing. You can't expect the guy to go out there – you know, basically, I hadn't played a full year of college football. Expect him to light things up. And listen, you know, Will Rogers is going to set a lot of records here at Mississippi State because he's a product of the system. And I think already at this point now, you know, he's already underappreciated. I think a lot. I think some of the criticism about Will has been a little bit unfair, to be honest with you. That's not to say that he can't play better. I'm not. I'm not sitting here telling you that uh, you know he's Gardner Minshew. He's not. And he shouldn't be. You know, Gardner Minshew was a fifth-year senior, a well-traveled fifth-year senior. Guy that had a chip on his shoulder, you know, and, and Will probably has one too. But, you know, Gardner was the guy too. That, you know, what he signed with Troy, I guess, and then went to East Miss, or Northwest Mississippi Community College and East Carolina and then to Alabama for about a week and then ended up at Washington State and had a huge year up there. Now he's in the National Football League. And so, you know, Will's the guy too that, you know, we're still – we still got the training wheels on a little bit. And, again, that's not to be critical of him. That's just the reality of playing a young quarterback. And so, again, I think he's farther ahead of what a lot of his peers were at this point in, uh, in their careers. He's playing, you know, really before he's ready. And, and, um, but he'll get there. And, I, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. I know, I know some other people will disagree. But, you know, I go back to the whole thing about you know, will the scheme work? And then we say, well, we got receivers running open all the time. So that tells me the scheme is solid. The whole point of offense is to be able to get, you know, your playmakers open, get your playmakers in a position to make a play. And so if we're able to do that, and then maybe we've got a young quarterback that sometimes doesn't trust it and isn't quite willing to let it go, you know, that that's about the maturation of a quarterback. You know, so maybe we're not getting the quarterback play that allows this offense to run at its highest level of proficiency right now. But I think that actually bodes well for the scheme. You think, okay, well, as Will begins to mature and Will begins to trust what he sees, then you're going to see better production on his offense. And so, But it can't be both. It can't be the air raid won't work and we've got receivers running wide open. 
you see what I'm saying? Those two things both can't be true. If we got guys running open, then schematically we're doing what we need to do. We just need to get a little bit better quarterback play. And that's not to say that he's playing poorly. I know, you know, the quarterback is you know, often the you know the one that gets too much credit and then uh, too much blame. There's a lot of guys involved in this whole process. And again, Will can do some things better. But I'm I'm still a Will Rogers fan, and I'll be honest with you guys. I, when we took him as our quarterback that year, I was a little I was a little bit on the fence about it. I mean, I really was. Because in my mind, I really thought, well, this guy's probably like a Southern Miss, a Memphis-type guy. And that's not to say that they hadn't had some guys at those schools that could play here. Because we have had some real adventures at quarterback over the years. We really have. We've had some guys, you know, I don't know how they even got an offer at times. And they come here and then work out and they move on. I think Will is well ahead of some of his predecessors at Mississippi State. But I think you just got to be patient with him. And there is going to be some up and down with the young quarterback. That's just kind of the reality of life. But as he begins to mature, you're going to see the offense be a little bit better. And again, as I told you guys on Monday, if we can have that same level of improvement we had down the stretch last year, you know, I think we can feel really good about the direction of the program and, and, uh, and the offense. But what's going to happen, and I can already hear see it now, is, you know, the same people that are saying that, hey, Chris Lamona sits on a bucket and, uh, you know, and then, you know, there's no emotion from Joe Moorhead. And, and I still laugh about that. It's like I'm on the sidelines of every one of Joe Moorhead's games, home or away. I was on at every game on every sideline. So I hear what Joe is saying. I watch what Joe is doing. And then I go back and watch the ESPN broadcast, and I see Joe look a little more reserved. And so that paints this false narrative, and people kind of look at they get on the message boards and on social media and say, hey, the guy's just kind of unemotional. It's just not true. It's not true. And so we have people that don't go to games, and that's the only perception they have is what they see on a TV broadcast. And we're getting some of that with Leach right now, too. It's, oh, well, he just seems oblivious. Guys, that's just simply not true. It's not true. And to say that he's not engaged in what's going on, it's just it's unfair and just completely untrue. And, again, there are some things we can do better. They absolutely can be better. But what's going to happen is – once Will begins to mature a little more, and he's already come a long way over last year. There were times last year he was kind of, you know, you could tell, even though he has some moxie and some poise about him, there were times it looked a little bit overwhelming at times. I don't see as much of that this year. But as Will, you know, matures and develops a little bit, next thing you know, we start running this offense at a much uh, better level, you know, then the narrative is going to be, well, we changed some play calling, and we did no, no. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's got nothing to do with adjustments. It's got to do with experience. It's got to do with letting a guy grow up a little bit. And that's what needs to happen. That's what's going to happen. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Great people, man. Great food, great prices, great portions, great locations. Just everything about Bulldog Burger Company is great. That, that should probably be the marketing campaign. Bulldog Burger is great. I love going in there. I'm always so impressed with the consistency. You know, a lot of times you go places one day, it's a good day. The next day, it's a bad day. And you're like, well, I really want it, but I don't know. That's the thing about Bulldog Burger Company. You're going to get the same thing every time. The same quality, restaurant quality hamburger, the same meal. It's going to be so wonderful every time you go. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive there in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And, of course, the new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgewood. Still get a lot of good reports about experiences down there. I share with you guys all the time when you think it's a game, but it's not. If you can complete a full Bulldog Burger Company meal, I mean, you're, I'm impressed. 
I, I can't do it. The portions are so good. I always bring some home and give it to my dogs or I have it for lunch the next day. I mean, it's, it's, it's significant. It really is. Go find your own favorites. Get that chocolate shake to go and always have the spring rolls. They make you better looking. They do. You may be beat that as an appetizer or as an entree. I don't know. I guess you could have it as a dessert. I won't judge you. But the spring rolls are absolutely incredible. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, if you were unaware, the SEC announced the 2022 college football schedule last night. I saw some people, too, on social media. And, yeah, I'm going to comment on it. I wasn't sure if I was going to, but I'm going to. They were being critical of Mississippi State for announcing a schedule. What? What? Number one, it's not our decision. We're not just looking ahead the next year. We're still focused on this year. Give me a break. It gives people a chance to plan a little bit, not to mention the SEC determines a rollout of all that stuff. I mean, come on. And thumbs up to Mississippi State's marketing department, Jack, the greatest boy, man. I love Jack. He is a great bulldog. Jack, the star of the MSU schedule announcement, did a great job. And uh, everybody involved with Jack is just top-notch, man. I mean, he's a beautiful dog, but also, too, very well-behaved. He's good with kids. He was a star of the show. If you haven't seen it, go look for that. Jack lets you know the schedule. Does a great job. Our marketing department really does a great job. I don't know that they get enough credit for that. To be, They've won several awards. But, uh, yeah, I think sometimes some of our fans get in such a habit of griping about Mississippi State, we can't always recognize when we've got something great. It's like there were many people who couldn't even enjoy college baseball season. <laughs> it's like – you know, yeah, we had some ups and downs, and, and granted, the, the, the crew certainly made it entertaining, you know, losing to Mizzou and, uh, you know, getting blown out of Hoover. But, uh, you know, even in Omaha, when we're playing at the highest level, it's like, you know, we're just so afraid of the other shoe dropping. It's like it's just so hard to believe. No, Steve, you don't understand. No, I understand. I've lived with this my whole life, too. But I believe the best is yet to come for Mississippi State. I believe that our future – is going to be more productive than our past. And I think we need to understand that anything that happened in the past really has no bearing on the future. It's not this whole you know repetitive cycle of self-fulfilling prophecy that many people think it is. I remember one time I walked out of a ball game and this guy looked at me and he goes, man, it's just dogs being dogs. Well, you know, I've, I've got higher expectations for the dogs. And there are a lot of people that think, oh, well, you know, I've, I expect a lot from Mississippi State. Well, I, I do too. But, you know, there's a little more to it than just making a, you know, making a tweet. Let me just send out a tweet and talk about how great I think this thing should be. There's just a lot more, a lot more to it than that. You know, this is a relationship. There are a lot of people that want the benefit of the relationship without the work. Kind of like that in life, too. It's like, well, I just want Mississippi State to win all the time, you know, so I can go out here and wear my shirt and talk trash to all my friends at the water cooler get out there on the, on the golf course and be able to say, don't even look at me. I've got my Mississippi State NAFL championship hat on. There's probably some truth in all that too. But, you know, there is a downside of that sometimes too. And so I think it's important to understand that, you know, our job, and our jobs are a little bit different, obviously, because I'm in the media. But, you know, we, we turn up, we cheer, we buy tickets, we support the team. That's not to say we can't be critical every once in a while because that's, you know, I've I'm, I'm been critical on this show. Matter of fact, I've gotten some phone calls from friends. Hey, man, thought you were a little bit hard on this guy. Thought you were a little hard on Ben Howen last year. Thought you were a little hard on this. I, I just kind of call it as I see it. 
But my love for Mississippi State's not diminished by any of that stuff. And I say this all the time, and I think people don't fully appreciate that, is there are some people out there, like on the Gene Page and Outcome message boards, a few people out there that are kind of chronically negative. Well, I've met some of those people, and I don't know that their love for Mississippi State sometimes is properly represented in their social media footprint, if you know what I'm saying. It's like they love Mississippi State, but they go to their event when they're upset. Like the only time they post is when they're upset. Well, that's because they've gotten what they wanted when we win, you know, and so everybody's built a little bit different. So I just think let's, let's not judge each other too harshly. There's room for all of us. You know, I like it when we're winning all the time, too, and everybody's all happy, joyous, and free. But I understand that's not the reality. But you know, we get into season two, we all knew that the margin for error for bowl eligibility was pretty slim. And so we got to find a way to upset somebody to, to get, make us feel good again. We do. We need something good to happen. We need Stone Blanton to commit to Mississippi State. We need Quintel Jones. Somebody like We need something positive to happen for sure. All right, let's look at this 2022 schedule. I know many of you guys may have already seen it. But let's run through this thing, uh, the 2022 schedule for Mississippi State. And uh, you probably know this, but we open up with Memphis at our place. And so – let me make sure that everybody understands this, especially after what happened. We got to blow those guys out. And I, I mean, we got to be throwing in the fourth quarter. We don't take a timeout. We don't take a knee. We run tempo. If we can get 100, we get 100. We let an inferior football team beat us last week. And again, I told you guys, was Memphis capable of beating us? Yeah, they had some help. But we got to be able to uh, to lay the hammer down on those boys next year when they come up here. We absolutely do. I think this fan base demands it. I think this fan base deserves it. Had to listen to so much this last week. And there are a lot of people out there, I mean, like the LSU people, like, man, you guys get screwed. Yeah, it's true, but, you know, we shouldn't have been in that position. And, again, that's not in any way to uh, to diminish the impact of that, that, that non-call, which is a complete joke. And uh, – one of our Jeans Page uh, message boarders was at the uh, Hoover Country Club yesterday and actually ran into Mark Curls, the white hat from that crew. And he posts, and again, these are his words, you know, that Mark Curls went around basically explaining himself like five different times that the back judge never told him that he waved his hands. Back judge never told him. Well, if that's true, then that guy needs to be fired. Fired. And again, I go back to the whole thing with Mark Curls, too. If you're the head of that crew, when you look at that play and say, you know what, hey, guys, it's kind of a weird play. Let's all kind of get together here. Let's kind of get together and make sure this thing is right. Because, listen, there's six minutes to go in this ball game. If this play stands, Mississippi State, the conference that we work for, is going to have a loss on the road to a G5 team. And you'd say, well, Steve, that's just, that shouldn't matter. I just think it's the impact of the play necessitates a conversation. It's not a basic play. It'd be one thing if he just kind of gets out in the open field and, you know, it's a routine punt return. But due to the, the kind of unique nature of the play, Mark Curls owed it to Mississippi State and the Southeastern Conference to at least stop the game and have a conversation. Maybe that gives the replay a little more time. One thing I've been informed of, too, and I may have misspoke about this, you know, because it wasn't an SEC game, the guys at the SEC office, the control center, wasn't, wasn't their game. That's the in-stadium replay official, uh, Michael Wilkins, I believe is his name. It's his discretion there. And so we got to get that done. But at the end of the day, these are SEC officials. 
and they've got an obligation to do a great job. But anyway, we got to get a little revenge against Memphis. And again, Mike, if you can get 80, get 80. If you can get a 90, get 90. If you can get 100, even better. I think you got to run the score up as best you can. All right, the next week we're going to make the long trip to Tucson, Arizona. I have been to Tucson. It is a beautiful place. Arizona is a beautiful state. It's a long drive. Not sure if I'm going to drive or fly. I enjoy the driving aspect of all this stuff. Doing a lot of it, Steve, my gosh, you're in the car so much. It's therapeutic for me. I kind of like being away for a while. Just kind of turn the radio up and see some things I don't see very often or never seen before. So might actually make the drive out there. We'll see. Arizona's a long way. And I know we got to go over there and play at their place. But, you know, that program is kind of in, uh, you know, in flux. That's a game I look at today and I think, you know what, if we can just kind of improve a little bit, we ought to be able to go out there and get a W. We'll see. You know, it's always hard to go win on the road in the Power Five. But, uh, you know, as of right now, you know, if we if both teams kind of continue their their trajectories, I, I would like to think we could go out there and win that ball game. But that's going to be a neat trip for Mississippi State folks. We'll probably never play at Arizona again in our lifetimes. So it'll be cool to go out there and see us play in the desert. And, yeah, I'm sure it'll be really, really hot. I'm hoping for a night game. Please, 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 please give us a night game at Arizona. All right, the next week we come right back. We're on the road at Tiger Stadium. That's always a tough place for us to go play, even though we've won down there a couple times the last 20 years or so. I guess um, we went down there in 14. I guess that was our first win since 91 down there. Should have won. There in 2000, we were cheated out of a ball game there. <clears throat> that gum SEC officials again. All right, the next week we come home. Our second home game of the year comes in week four against Bowling Green. You know, we've played those guys a few times. You know, that's the thing you look at, you know, this these MAC teams. I, I kind of like it when the MAC teams come. Number one, we expect to win, but they're, you know, they're, they're kind of fun teams. They come down here and play hard. A lot of those guys have this SEC Power 5 chip on their shoulder, like, hey, you know, we should have been Power 5 guys. They're not, but, you know, they come out there and play with a lot of uh, of fire. We played those guys one time. I was mistaken. And that was a close ball game. You know, we went 21-20 back in 2013. I wanted to say I thought we played them before that, but we didn't. So 21-20 winners, they gave us a game. And so, no idea what those guys are going to look like next year. They're not good this year. But uh, we'll kind of move ahead. But that should be a game we win. And so, you, if you're being you – know, I, I would say we're probably 2-2 two and two at this point. If we can win at Arizona, we're 3-1. and one. And I could probably talk myself into that. But we could be 3-1. and one. I don't expect to win in Tiger Stadium. I, I just don't. And um, now, that's not to say we can't. You know, because this nucleus of guys we have on offense, you know, people forget sometimes, too, how young we are on offense. And, and I, again, I don't want to rant too much about this and take on the message boarders and the social media folks here, but people, oh, you know, why are we, why do we keep saying we're so young? Well, it's because we have a, you know, a freshman quarterback, and so he's a COVID freshman. But I mean, think about it. Jaden Wally, one of your best receivers, both of your running backs, Dylan Johnson, Woody Marks, that's kind of the nucleus – of your skill positions. Now, Makai Polk, of course, is a guy, too, that's uh, got a little bit of experience, too. But, you know, we're not an experienced team on offense. And people would say, well, you know, we got all those upperclassmen on the offensive line. Guys, you know, most of you have made more starts than they have. I mean, that's just being honest with you. I mean, Charles Cross, yeah, that guy's a stud. 
he is. Cam Jones is a guy who was a developmental guy we signed late out of Starville High School. Got in there at right tackle last year, not because he's a tackle, but because he's a competitor. Because Greg Allen wasn't getting it done, so we slide him over there. Well, now he's a, you know, at left guard. You know, LaQuinson Sharp barely played last year, elected to come back. Now he's your starting center. I think he's done a pretty good job. He had the one bad snap last week, but, you know, he's played pretty well. Dollar Bill, you know, it's, it's an adventure with Dollar Bill at right guard, but the guy hadn't played much. I mean, last year, just, you know, the conditioning just got to him. Even though he had dropped a bunch of weight, he just didn't have, you know, the physical acumen to get out there and consistently play 65, 75 snaps. Just wasn't, wasn't able to do it. Just hit the wall. And then Scott Lashley is a guy that's kind of been a career reserve. He's played more Mississippi State than he has the rest of his college career combined. And so, yeah, we might have some guys that have a S or a J next to their name. It doesn't mean they played. We're largely inexperienced. And I know that's like, oh, you're making excuses. No, I'm not. That's just the reality of it. That's not to say these guys won't get better. We're still a young team. But you begin to think about next year when you get ready to go to LSU. Now, all of a sudden – you know, Wally and Marks and Johnson and Rogers, they got they get three years together. They're working on year three together. And so I'm not ready to just, you know, automatically assume that's a loss, but you know, based on, you know, the difference in in towel level at times, you you'd you'd like Tigers at home for sure. All right, so let's just say we're three and one. And you get A and M coming here, and you know, that's been that's been an adventure too. A and M has really struggled to win in Starkville. They have. Johnny Manziel won that first game up here, and then last year we kind of gifted them a game. And, they, listen, they were a better team than us last year too. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, we should have won the game. I mean, we had a pick six from Emmanuel Forbes that kind of got us back into the game, and then they got a, a, a block punt that kind of put us away. But it was a 28-14 ball game there. I mean, I think if, if I'm not mistaken. So, to, you know, that that's a competitive game, you know, I just A and M for some reason just never really impresses me. And, and listen, I was I thought they played well down the stretch last year. Give them a lot of credit, you know, under Kellen Mond, who was I, I thought was very very pedestrian early in his career. And that's the thing you go back and look, kind of like the, uh, you know, kind of like this whole deal with um, with Will Rogers. I mean, we watched Kellen Mond absolutely melt on the field for two seasons. And then everybody props him up as a junior, oh, he's going to do great, and then he doesn't. He was better, but he wasn't great. But last year, that guy was really good. And I listen, you can call me a Kellermont hater. I, maybe that's true. That guy impressed me last year. I really thought he took a big jump. And so, again, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes you got to give guys time to develop. And I think Jimbo did a good job with Kellermont. Kellermont can owe his career to Jimbo Fisher. All right, the next week we have Arkansas coming in. and uh... Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. 
Thirds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Yeah, I'm interested to see kind of what that program looks like you know, next year. They're intriguing. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, K.J. Jefferson's a guy that uh, is a real low, kind of like Chris Ralph. You know, the zone read is uh, something that's pretty exciting for them. They're, they're a team that will get after you a little bit physically. And I had a chance to go back and watch some of that ball game against Texas last week, and they absolutely beat Texas up. And, and of course, they were feeling it. You're up in a ball game. Your crowd's going crazy. They got to come here. And uh, for a while there, we absolutely dominated this series. Was it 9 of 11? Something, something ridiculous with it. We absolutely dominated this, uh, this series. And, um, you know, they, they've had some success. Uh, two of the last three trips to Starkville. So we got to reverse that. But, of course, I, glad to get that game at home. Then we go back to Lexington. And, we again, that's another series that we dominated. But the last few trips to Lexington have been – a little bit dicey to say the least. And a lot of that too has been on us. You know, back in 16, Peter Sermon doesn't know how to play defense. You know, Nick Fitzgerald leads you down, hits Fred Ross. We're all excited. We get It's a game-winning touchdown. We just got to get a stop and we can't get one and give up, what, a 53-yard field goal to lose. 2018, we go over there and can't get out of our own way. Offensive line got beat up. We pushed and shoved all night. Probably were a couple of calls that went against us, but we were an undisciplined football team. Last year we go up there, and uh, the first time in Mike Leach's career we don't score a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, come on. So, yeah, we've had a tough time going to Lexington. So, yeah, I mean, as much as I, you know, I think Mississippi State is a better football program than Kentucky, 
you know, the bottom line is the last three years that we've gone to Lexington, we have not played well. All right, then we get Alabama on the road the next week. You, you know, that's, that's always fun. You know, here's the thing, too, about Alabama, too. You know, I, I know like, it's like there are a lot of their fans that don't travel. I think Bryant-Denny Stadium is just okay. I mean, I do, they do some cool things there. I mean, the fans are very involved. It's not, not necessarily an indictment on Alabama fans by any stretch. But, you know, Bryant-Denny just kind of feels a little bit sanitized to me. What I mean by that is, like, when you, you know, when you go to LSU, I mean, like, it kind of strikes some fear in your heart because you wonder, if we're going to be able to get out of here alive? I mean, the fans are right on top of you, and, and it gets rough. I mean, it does. And that's not to say that Alabama doesn't have some rough fans, but it just feels like everybody is so far removed, you know, from the playing surface. You know, you go to Razorback Stadium, and it's downright cozy. I mean, it really is. But you know you're in a college atmosphere. It just Alabama just seems – it almost seems kind of NFL where it's just, it's just not – it doesn't really feel like a college venue to me. You may disagree, and that's okay. Like, to, to be honest with you, I think one of the coolest environments is Jordan-Hare. I think it's really cool. I love what they do with that eagle, man. They, they fly that bad boy around there. I think it's amazing. And one time against us, he flew into a window. Speaking of Auburn, we have them in Start Vegas the next weekend, November the 5th. I think it's a ball game right now you look at right now. When you look at this schedule and how daunting it is, you got to win that one. Because you got a road trip to Lexington and a road trip to Bama. You come home for Auburn, and then the next week you get Georgia, who is recruiting as well as anybody in America right now. Not sure what Auburn's going to look like next year. We got to find a way to win that game. We do. I mean, our bowl eligibility might actually depend on that. Georgia absolutely rolling. They'll come in here, be excited about life. You know, the, uh, back up a second. The good thing about that Auburn game, too, is we get a bye week ahead of that. That's the only bye. Eight straight games, and then we get a bye week before we play Auburn. Played them pretty tight last year. And then Gus danced and then got fired. Maybe he got fired for the dancing rather than the football. It was pretty bad. I mean, and, it, and it's a guy that, uh, that is probably the best self-taught club dancer that you have ever known. I wish these people would show me a little more respect when I'm in the building. You know, Gus comes up here to my town, dances like that, and he gets fired. Do you think it's an accident? you think it's all a coincidence? No, it's not. Sometimes you got to call in some markers. But the Georgia thing is interesting. You know, I, I think Georgia has a legitimate chance to win the NFL championship this year, and then they come here next year, and it's not like they're going to be devoid of talent. That's going to be a very difficult game for us. We played them tough at their place last year. We did. So it's not like, uh, you know, Michael Leach, I think, is intimidated or scared of Georgia. That's one thing I'll say about Leach, too, that's maybe different from some of the coaches we've had in the past. You know, Jackie Sherrill is probably the only guy in my lifetime that I would, I would really say didn't get tied in ball games. He was a guy that thought we had a chance to win every game. And he coached it that way. We're going to go out there and, you know, we're going to have some pride about ourselves and we're going to go try to win this ball game. And Dan Mullen, of course, felt that way against, you know, the Kentuckys and South Carolinas of the world. But, you know, Dan was intimidated by Alabama. I don't know that he is anymore, but he was. He was intimidated by Alabama and Nick Saban. I don't think Jackie Sherrill was ever intimidated by Alabama. I know Sylvester Croom wasn't intimidated by Alabama. But that's the thing I'll say about Mike Leach. I think Leach believes he can devise a plan to beat any team in the country. 
It's just a matter of if we can go out there and have the athletes to implement that and execute the plan. All right, the next week we get East Tennessee State. Uh, Vanderbilt might send us a warning after they uh, played so poorly against them. But, you know, it's obviously a ball game we should win. I kind of like the fact that if we're not going to have a bye week to have an FCS game before the Egg Bowl and that short turnaround, got to make that trip to Oxford the next week on a Thursday. And, yeah, we've had some success at Oxford. Almost had some success again last year. You know, we for a while there, the you know, visiting team in this series did really well. So we'll see. You know, Matt Corral will be gone. We don't know who the quarterback will be. And, and listen, Matt Corral's playing well. I mean, that's just the reality of life. I mean, I don't know how anybody I – mean, you may hate it. You might hate that he's playing well, but to say the guy's not playing well is uh, is kind of silly. And you go back again, kind of the, the point I made about Rodgers earlier and about Kellen Mond is, you know, when Matt Corral first got here, there was no denying the guy had an incredible arm talent. His decision-making process was awful, awful. It's gotten better. Jeff Levy, Lane Kiffin done a good job kind of developing him. And we'll see how things look. But that's your 2022 schedule. And I got to tell you, you know, look at this thing, too. You look at it and you begin to think, man, we, we are really going to have to improve as a football team to ensure we have a winning season. Obviously, you get the usual suspects from the West. You pick up Georgia and you get that, that, that difficult road trip to Lexington. You start thinking, man, your goodness, right out of the gate – where the wind's going to come from. We don't get Vandy on the schedule this year. You know, so we're going to have to improve. Simple as that. There aren't going to be any gimmies. And I know there are a lot of people out there that think, oh, well, we, you know, we need this you know, favorable schedule to get bowl eligible. Again, I, I expect Mississippi State to improve, especially in 2022. You know, we knew last year was kind of a throwaway year. We wanted to take a step forward this year and have a winning year, get bowl eligible again, and then kind of build towards 2022. So I think Mississippi State is going to be a really good football team next year. But we got a really challenging schedule, a really challenging schedule in 2022. So go check it out for yourself. Maybe take in some cool road trips. That's one of the things that I'll share with you guys, too. And granted, I, I have a fun job, but it's still a job. I'd love to be able to sit home and watch Netflix and listen to music all day. But, uh, but the reality of it is I get to go a lot of cool places. And if you have never gone and watched Mississippi State play at some of these venues, let me encourage you to do that. Not only would it be great for the Bulldogs, because they need as many voices in the stands as possible, but it would be great for you to make those memories. I used to be so envious of, like, Dave Murray. You know, like, whenever I would hear Dave talk about, oh, yeah, we went to Williams-Brice Stadium or we covered this and I was here for that, I think, man, I want to go to those places. I want to know what that's about. I want to go to Omaha and go to the, the Drover restaurant. I mean, I want to be able to do all that stuff. And, and now that I've done it, I'll tell you, yeah, it's worth it. It's great. And as much as we want you to come to the home games, we absolutely do, and we don't want to trade one for the other. But maybe, maybe pick out a road trip at least one a year and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go do that. I remember when I first started doing that with my oldest son and my best friend and his son, every year we would pick up at least one road trip, sometimes two. And it was so fun to go out there like you see your other, fran- your other Bulldog fans walking around with their Mississippi State stuff on. And everybody you see is like, hell state, man, hell state. Screw these guys, you know. And uh, in, in any, some ways, it kind of deepened my fandom for Mississippi State. You know, going out and watching those guys compete on the road. It does. It makes a difference. And, and I have so many people that have said, yo, Steve, I can't believe you do home and away football and baseball. You know, football, I kind of get. But baseball, you know, and it does require a commitment, man. It really does. But it's like there are so few things in life that really bring you true joy. You know what I'm saying? Most things are just kind of 
you know, above average. But I love going and covering Mississippi State on a baseball field. I do. I, I love it. I love going and watching the Bulldogs play on the road. I love those road trips. I love being able to get out there and go see those campuses. And it's amazing. It really is. And so I would always encourage you, when given the opportunity, go support Mississippi State on the road. And so maybe be thinking about that Arizona trip because, that, again, that's probably a once-in-a-lifetime trip for us. And I don't say that just because, you know, it's going to be such a great trip. I'm just saying, you. when are we going to get a chance to go watch the Bulldogs, our Bulldogs, play at Arizona? Probably never again. And so maybe be thinking about that as you kind of move ahead. But, again, 2022 schedule is out, and, again, it looks to be very, very challenging. Let's get to today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler is a friend of mine. I have known Blair a long time. I trust Blair. And here's the deal. Many of you maybe don't know a lot about the mortgage lending industry. You need someone you can trust. You've got a man on the inside in Blair Chandler. Blair's a bulldog. Blair's a season ticket holder, multiple sports, has a place up here in Star. Well, spends a lot of time up here. I believe in doing business with bulldogs whenever we can. And Blair is absolutely that. But even more so, one of the top loan originators in the industry. Works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage companies in the country. Blair in the top 1% close ratio nationally. That's a guy that knows how to get things done. And so if you're intimidated by the process, maybe you don't know anything about it at all, let Blair kind of guide you through. There's not a loan out there that he hadn't seen before. A lot of people are thinking, well, Steve, you still understand. Well, maybe you don't understand. Maybe the first time you tried or maybe the last time you tried, maybe you got mixed up with maybe some subprime lender, that, you know, some loan officer just didn't understand your situation and couldn't properly articulate your unique circumstances to underwriting. That's what Blair can do. Visit CloseWithBlair.com, or better yet, maybe call or text Blair. He is happy to talk to you. He's probably closing a loan right now, so if he doesn't get right back with you, he will. Just give him a little time. 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. And to give you a little incentive, it also kind of rewards you for being a Boneyard listener. If you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the Boneyard, just say, hey, St- hey St- I've heard about you on Steve's show, the Boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? That's Bulldogs taking care of Bulldogs, man. That's about a $300 value. He's going to take care of it for you just because you're a Boneyard listener. So let him know whether you text him or call him or email him or send him a you know carrier pigeon, whatever. I heard about it on the Boneyard. I want my free appraisal, Blair. You promised it to me, and he will absolutely take care of you. Okay, today's top ten list. We're going back. Recent rock covers. I did that recently, and the list exploded, man. You guys love covers. I, I've had so many people that say, hey, man, Steve, I love the covers. And I, I get a chance to talk top ten lists with some of you guys, and you're out there, guys and gals. I have a lot of women that reach out about the rock stuff. And so let that be a lesson to some of you guys, too. There's a lot of women that really want to rock. They do. And they're usually very, very good looking. Just a little words of advice there. All right, so top rock covers really of the last couple of years. I did this list, a similar list, here about a month ago, and the list was incredible. I had so many people that reached out, see, this is such a great rendition. I've never heard of this band. And so I have got some amazing 
stuff for you today. You know, some very classic songs covered by some contemporary artists. Many of them you've heard of, some you haven't. But I'm eager to see how this list does. I love rock covers. You guys do too. And uh, it's one of those cool things to find one of your favorite bands, maybe singing one of your other favorite band's songs. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I, I was a big Led Zeppelin fan, and I love to hear Tool's version of No Quarter, which is amazing. All of a sudden, I love Tool, and I'm like, oh, oh what, what, are you kidding me? You're, they're doing one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs? It gets your attention. All right, so here's the top ten list. Recent Rock Covers Part 2. Recent Rock Covers Part 2. A band I didn't know a whole lot about, but they're really cool. A band called Code Orange. They did, it's a live version, it is amazing, of Alice in Chains' Down in a Hole. Now, we did, uh, you know, we on the last one, I mentioned the In Flames version. But Code Orange, a little different, a little more maybe dialed in a little bit. I think you'll dig it. Code Orange is Down in a Hole by Alice in Chains. Number nine, I have seen this band live with Korn and Breckin' Benjamin and Silver Snakes uh, there in Biloxi. It's a band called Motionless and White. Then they're heavy, and they've got a little bit of an industrial grit to them. They're a really heavy band. Their take on the Killers classic, Somebody Told Me. Oh, my gosh. That, and that's like the only song by the Killers that most people know. Motionless and White does a great job kind of holding true to the original, but also kind of mixing in some of their own style. I think you'll absolutely dig that one. Again, that's Somebody Told Me, covered by Motionless and White. Number eight. A band that I love, and I probably should have mentioned them on my, my favorite first of the 2020s. It's a band called Bad Omens, and this guy can really, really sing. There are a lot of these bands nowadays that sing like me, but better. But there's not a lot of talent. And like the thing about Bad Omens is like they, they've got an acoustic EP too, similar to like the band Slaves. Like they take their bigger hits, and then they'll do a, like an, an acoustic unplug type deal. They change the arrangement a little bit. And you can really find out who can sing and who can't. Bad Omens is legit. They covered Duran Duran's Come Undone. And uh, rocked it up a little bit too now. So, you know, you need to, you know, maybe unbutton your shirt a little bit. Because uh, this is not one that is really for the, the meek. You know, it's it's not so loud it's going to bust your eardrums. But it is much more gritty than, say, the Duran Duran version. And I love that Duran Duran wedding album with Ordinary World and Come Undone on it. It is phenomenal. It was a great return. But Come Undone is a song that a lot of people have covered. I think Bad Omen's probably the best version of Come Undone other than the original. Number seven, we talked about this band uh, led by David Draymond, uh, Disturbed. Last time we did these rock covers, we talked about their cover of The Sound of Silence, which was a huge hit for them. Here, This is one, too, that is a little bit different. They covered Sting's if I ever lose my faith in you. And I, I love their version. You know, I think it's a little more tuned down. It's a little bit darker. And it sounds a little bit more desperate than the Sting version. You know, the Sting's version sounds a little poppy. I think Disturbed's version is a little darker. And I kind of like it that way because if I ever lose my faith in you, it, it's if you really read the lyrics on this, it's really not a happy song. It's kind of played that way but it's really not it's like you know i've got all these other things that are going on in my life and i've lost faith in the politicians and the government and all this and all that but if i ever lost my faith in you it's just something i couldn't come back from it's a bit of a love song but it's kind of uh kind of dark okay number six 
Now, this is a duet that's part of one of my favorite bands. It's Brent Smith and Zach Myers from Shinedown, better known as Smith and Myers. They have done three acoustic albums, and I'm happy to say I recommended this song for them to cover on the second Smith and Myers project. They actually did two albums as part of the second one, so they have three total, three total acoustic albums, Smith and Myers. If you like Shinedown, if you like covers, you can go find a bunch. Well, I actually suggested this song, and they took it. It is incredible. We have talked about this original on the show, but it is from Smith & Myers uh, Volume 2, I guess, and it's Never Tear Us Apart from NXS. I just felt that Brent Smith's range was perfect for the song, and I, again, I contend Never Tear Us Apart is the best love song of my generation. I don't think there's any question. I absolutely love that song. I love Michael Hutchins. Uh, makes me sad that he's no longer with us. Very, very, very difficult life for him uh, toward the end, and much of it self-inflicted. But uh, Smith & Myers, a great version of Never Tear Us Apart by NXS. And both Zach and Brent sing on the song. Number five, a female vocalist that I think is very underappreciated. Now, she, she had some uh, recent notoriety, probably in the last couple of years, uh, for her spot on, um, you know, the Bad Wolves album. If you're not familiar with Bad Wolves, they're undergoing a singer change right now as Tommy Vex has left the band. But uh, Bad Wolves, killers, man. Love those guys. Well, they uh, they did a song with Diamante that uh, was incredible. And if you don't know it, maybe you should check it out. It's a song called Hear Me Now. It's a duet between Tommy and Diamante, and uh, she is phenomenal. He's really good. I think she actually steals it. But Diamante did another duet with a very famous modern rock musician, Benjamin Burley, from Breaking Benjamin, there for you, baby Fred. They covered Goo Goo Dolls' version of song Ice, uh, Iris, excuse me, my goodness, Diamante, and then uh, Benjamin, Breaking Benjamin, Iris. And you know the Goo Goo Dolls song, an incredible, incredible song. Probably, I'd venture to say Iris is probably the biggest Goo Goo Dolls song. And I don't know, we haven't done a Goo Goo Dolls top 10. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Roy put that on the list. But their version of it is really cool. It's interesting, too, to hear, you know, kind of the, you know, the dynamic between Diamante and, and Ben. So that's Iris from Diamante. Number four, one of my favorite bands covering a song from another one of my favorite bands. And it's Seven Dust. I've met those guys, met LJ a couple times, absolutely killer man they're so down to earth there's so many people that are in the rock industry that um you know think they're too good for fans that's not seven dust man those guys are really 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 committed to their fans they never ever ever act like that they are uh, somehow too cool for school but seven dust covered a audio slave song or two live after Chris Cornell died. Well, they went in the studio and they actually recorded a Soundgarden track that they actually released. And it's available on iTunes and Spotify and everything else. And it's uh, The Day I Tried to Live from the Super Unknown album. I love that album. Sometimes I go back and forth, which are my favorite Soundgarden's albums. You know, one and two are Bad Motor Finger and Super Unknown. But um, I thought Lejean did a great job holding true to the original but kind of making it a seven dust track song too but um it's the day i tried to live covered by seven dust that's your number four song number three speaking of Soundgarden and chris cornell god rest his soul 
I don't. I think we've actually used this song on another top ten list, but I, I wanted to kind of mention it again because it is so great, and it actually was on the Billboard charts after it was released. It is from the No One Sings Like You Anymore covers album. You know, Chris Cornell covered. I understand there's like seventy or eighty recorded covers, and about half of them haven't been been released yet. And so Vicky Cornell released this album, No One Sings Like You Anymore, and Chris Cornell had covered Patience by Guns N' Roses. It is a beautiful rendition. And so it brings tears to my eyes, man, when I hear it, because I, I know that we're done. You know what I'm saying? It's like Audio Slave supposedly has enough material for three albums with Chris Cornell. A lot of it's not finished. And then Soundgarden has at least one, maybe two albums out there. And then, of course, Vicky Cornell has uh, the rights to all of those other cover songs. So there's a bunch of other Chris Cornell music that hadn't been released, so maybe we'll get that at some point. But it saddens me to know that once that's gone, that's it. You know, there's no, there's not going to be anything fresh. And that that's uh, I've told you guys before, Chris Cornell, that's the, the most uh, impactful celebrity death in my life. The guy wrote the soundtrack to my recovery, and uh, after he died, I'll be honest with you, it took me days to really kind of kind of move forward and that sounds a little bit vulnerable and maybe I'm being soft or whatever but uh, I discovered Chris Cornell really when I was in, in rehab like I'd heard Soundgarden you know what I'm saying like I knew who they were and I knew their song some on MTV but I was in treatment I had a roommate that was um, actually from Ole Miss of all places and uh, he was really into that bad Motorfinger album and so I just sat down listened to it and read the liner notes and I was like this guy is just on a different level than everybody else and uh, in many respects, you know, it, it changed my life. All right, number two. Now, this is a song from, from one of the most famous country music singers of all time, Dolly Parton. And the song was covered by Whitney Houston. And it was a huge hit off the Bodyguard soundtrack, I Will Always Love You. Now, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm, I've told you guys, she is the best female rock vocalist in the world today. I don't think there's any question. She is phenomenal and a lot of people like her because she does rock and she's got some you know some grit to her voice and that sort of stuff but it this rendition of the song i think really kind of shows you how talented she really is and there are so many people out there that listen to the show and they think oh you know we talk a lot about music let me tell you when i give you bands like hellstorm i am giving you a gift lizzie hale is a musical genius she was blessed with an amazing voice and while this may sound a little bit like hyperbole in many respects, I think she is the Janis Joplin of this generation because she can use the low register. She can use the high register. She is phenomenal and obviously a more polished singer than, than Janis, and, and I mean that with all due respect. But this version of I Will Always Love You is, uh, is really, really good. And so check it out today. It's number two. But number one, I thought we'd have some fun with this one. Came out, oh, I don't know, three or four months ago. It's Corn and Yellow Wolf's version of The Devil Went Down to Georgia. How cool is that? Many of you haven't even heard that. Now, nothing will ever be as good as the original Charlie Daniels version. Okay, that's, let, let's just go ahead and accept that as fact. But the fact that Corn did this, I think you know, they, 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 did, they did Word Up on their Greatest Hits album, which is great. But Corn doing The Devil Went Down to Georgia. So it's almost like I always said when I was a kid, that I really thought that, uh, that Johnny lost the battle. And I still contend that, too. I know some of you are like, oh, you know, well, Johnny was great. No, let me listen. The Devil's Band won. 
Johnny lost. It's time we accept that. And while the song is great, let's admit it. It's true. The band of demons won when the devil went down to Georgia. And so now that corn kind of is the band of demons in many respects, it's kind of ironic. So go check that out. Corn, the devil went down to Georgia, and Yellow Wolf is part of that too. Yellow Wolf, of course, is a uh, rapper from, from Alabama. I really dig it. I think all these songs are great, and I think because many of them are classic songs covered by contemporary artists, I think you'll really appreciate that. And I always like kind of throwing a bone out there for some of these uh, newer bands and maybe some people that you don't know quite as well, like Code Orange, uh, Bad Omens, and Diamante. I'm always trying to help you guys expand your musical repertoire. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. I am on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. If you're looking for a list... Go to Spotify and search Dogmatic 67. That's D A W G M A T I C 67. That is Roy's Spotify. And follow that. Or you can follow Roy on Twitter. And every time that Roy tweets it out, like maybe if you're not a Spotify person, maybe you're there with well, Steve, I'm, 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 I'm Apple Music. That's cool because Izzy Mandelbaum usually responds to those tweets. And maybe follow Izzy on Twitter too. And you can have those lists sent right to your phone. How cool is that? We talk about it here. You hit a button, and all of a sudden you've got the list, and you can kind of tell me where I'm wrong. You can have your own list, but it'd be wrong. But I'm trying to help you because I love you. I do. If nobody else loves you, I love you. And I want to thank Izzy and Roy for their assistance, kind of helping me bring the music to you guys too. And also, let's give a thumbs up to Roy Samante for his first tattoo. He says his last, but I don't believe that's the case. I'm going to work on him. Everybody says that. They get the first tattoo, and they're like, oh, it hurts so bad. I don't know if I'm going to get another one. Well, it's really not so bad, Roy. Let's toughen up a little bit, okay? We're okay. You kind of bit off a lot there with that big baseball tattoo, kind of commemorating the national championship. So I'm glad. Allow me to welcome Roy to the Sacred Ink Tribe. So, Roy, congratulations. I'm glad you survived it. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. A lot of it's the anxiety of getting the tattoo that is worse than a tattoo. It's like they expect it to hurt. And then, you know, for me, I was like, hey, it didn't hurt as bad as I expected. This isn't so bad. And now I'm, you know, largely covered up. But uh, maybe you don't want to go that route, Roy. Maybe you don't. But congratulations on the tat. And listen, if you guys have gotten Mississippi State tats uh, since the NAFL championship and I hadn't seen them, send them to me. I'd love to see them. We can talk tattoos, too. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookMart.net as we look ahead to the LSU Tigers. Stand to man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, Cindy, Candy, everybody up there. They're perfect. Great people. Miss Pam is up there. Miss Pam Minyard is there. A great addition to the squad. Go by and check them out. Allow them to help you outfit your family and latest in Mississippi State maroon and white merch. It's all right there. Miss Kathy Brown can get pretty much anything you want, anything that's out there. It's Mississippi State related. She'll grab it for you. And these are our people too. These are Starkville people that love Mississippi State. It's not just a business for them, okay? It's a passion. They want to help you find what you need to represent Mississippi State. You can find Stan and Matt out there in the left field lounge during Bulldog Baseball. It's what we do. All right, so if you haven't been to town and you can't make it to town, maybe you live out in Arizona. Maybe you only get back to Mississippi once or so a year. Maybe he's like, you know, Steve, it's so busy, I can't get there. Visit them on the World Wide Web. Rather than give your money to Amazon or something like that, go to campusbookmart.net. 
campusbookmart.net and support a Starkville business. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a little incentive to do that. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And that's one of the things I've learned, too, is a lot of people that did all this online shopping after, after the College World Series kind of found out, you know what, I'm probably better off dealing with the Starkville people because they know what maroon is, right? They care. You know, a lot of people, you're just a name and a number. You know, you're not really a customer. And it was crazy. There were so many of our Starkville businesses that were just overrun. And so many of you were so patient and so kind. And uh, on behalf of all of them, thank you for doing that. It was a special moment for all of us. But when you're looking for Mississippi State merch, Campus Book March is the way to go. No doubt about it. All right, let's look at LSU. As I mentioned, uh, I went through the uh, Ed Orgeron press conference. They're a little bit worried about the secondary. You know, they're, they're devised some little plan or whatever. They're going to change some things up. But they have been susceptible to the crossing routes. When they have gone man coverage, they've gotten beat. I expect that we'll see a lot of zone defense. I talked to some uh, LSU folks yesterday that said, you know, that it's one of those things they're a little bit worried about because they just don't ordinarily play a lot of zone. They put some zone in the system this year kind of with us in mind to put some, some zone to kind of keep guys in front of them. Now, they're an athletic group for sure. But what happened last year is they lined up and tried to go man-to-man with Mississippi State's wideouts. They got embarrassed. They got absolutely destroyed in that ball game. If K.J. didn't turn it over three or four times, you know, that ball game is a complete blowout. I think we all know that. Well, because of the fact that Orgeron's guys got embarrassed, they've been prepared for Mississippi State for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see what wrinkles they come out there with. But you know, this is a good defense, could be a really good defense, but it hadn't really played anybody. Let's look at the schedule. Of course, they opened the year losing that ball game to UCLA. Really, really, really upset a lot of people in the Bayou. Because, you know, UCLA was unranked. A lot of people had LSU overranked. They're not ranked now. They shouldn't be ranked. They're an unranked opponent coming to Mississippi State. It's still a very, very talented team, for sure. Are they capable of beating Mississippi State? You better believe it. And earlier in the week, I was thinking, ah, oh, the LSU's going to win. They're going to do this. And the more I look at LSU, the more I start thinking, you know what, we, we can win this game. It, it's really all within our reach. It's up to us. It's that simple. If we go out there and, uh, you know, turn the football over and have these two-quarter lulls in ball games, we're going to get beat. That's the reality of it. And if we go out there and put a complete game together, we'll run LSU out of the stadium. LSU has really struggled to run the football. But, you know, going back and look at the, uh, the, LSU, I mean, the, the UCLA game, UCLA outgained them by nearly 100 yards. Most of the LSU offense that game came through the air. LSU ran for just 49 yards in the game. That's it. That's not who LSU is and kind of their identity under Ed Orgeron. Even under Les Miles, LSU has always been a kind of punch-you-in-the-mouth team that wins the line of scrimmage. But they've had some real issues on the offensive front. They've had some guys banged up. They've you had some guys be inconsistent. You know, they go play McNeese State and LSU, again, 305 yards of offense. 305. Now, they run for 124, but you're playing McNeese State. And believe it or not, McNeese State actually possessed the ball more than LSU did. And LSU wins the ball game, you know, late. They kind of put the game away 34-7. But what was it, like 17, 17 points there? 17-7 there in the third? 
They had to put some points together. Maybe it was, yeah, 17 nothing at the half against McNeese State. This is not a potent offense. Now, they found a little bit of potency last week with the passing game again against Central Michigan. Really thought Central Michigan would make this more of a game. You know, LSU gets up 21-7 in the first quarter and then kind of puts it away there in the second quarter, makes it 35-7. Uh, but, you know, looking at the numbers here, you know, this is their best offensive performance to date, 484 yards. 400 of that comes through the air. LSU runs for 84 yards. That's it. And, you know, of course, a lot of that came late. It's almost like they're kind of abandoning the run. I don't think they can run on us anyway. And I think that's really kind of been the, you know, the, the, the calling card of the Zach Arnett defense. It's like, you know, we're going to make you one-dimensional. The difference is, is that LSU, you know, has some athletes on the, on the outside out there that can really make you pay. So if we get a little bit leaky in coverage, yeah, we're going to give up some big plays. We've got to be on top of it. There's no doubt about it. All right, so let's take a look at uh, a little bit deeper in the LSU stuff here. Um, so total on the year, 257-yard rushing. That's it. And, again, it's – you know, I don't know if they're just trying to get back to more of what worked with Joe Burrow and Joe Brady. But they're not running the football with any success. And it's not like, you know, us where they just don't run it. Guys, they ran it 36 times against McNeese State. 36 times for 124 yards. And the sad part about that is there was one carry for 23. So you had 35 carries for 101 yards against McNeese State – they can't run the football. They've had 74 receptions for 911 yards, 11 touchdowns, only two on the ground, only two rushing touchdowns on the ground. Johnson's been good, though, 74 of 122. And it's funny, this time last year, a lot of people were saying, oh, he's going to transfer. He's going to transfer. It wasn't him that transferred, just so you know. You know, the next Cam Newton, as some people suggested, transferred. It's crazy how life works. Okay, so they've outgained their opponents 1168 to 896. That's not a very dramatic number, considering the quality of their opponents. And the disparity wasn't nearly as big until this past weekend when they put up 484 yards. All right, so let's take a look at, uh, you know, some individual stats here. Uh, that's what you want to know is who we got to look for, Steve. And I get it. I understand it. And so I'm going to give it to you. So defensively, DeMond Clark, number 18. You know, number 18 is kind of a, a jersey of notoriety at LSU. They kind of give it to their – not necessarily their best defensive player, but they give it to the guy that most demonstrates what, you know, the attributes that LSU wants in a football player. So it's not a surprise that that guy's leading the charge. 27 tackles for him. And then it really drops off. It really drops off. They've had some guys banged up. Former Mississippi State commitment, Devonta Q. Strong, has 13 tackles. He is third on the team. Uh, B.J. Ojolari, four and a half sacks, leads the team. Guy's kind of getting after you. Number eight, Cordell Flott is a corner that uh, State recruited. A lot of people thought was going to Auburn. He, is, uh, he really got roasted last year. So we, I'm sure we expect him to come back and be ready to go and ready to compete. You may have heard Andre Anthony out for the year. Out for the year. One of LSU's top pass rushers. And so Mason Smith, former five-star U.S. All-American, I think he's Army All-American, uh, he is going to play some at defensive end. 
So that's going to be interesting. You know, they've had a little bit of a change, I guess, there up front. So the rotation is missing a valuable guy. Now, Allie Gay is a guy that had a big game against Mississippi State last year. He has only played in one game, but they say he is cleared and ready to go this week. Allie Gay, number 11. Guy's a freak of an athlete. And so he was a guy last year that really, really stayed in our face, knocked some balls down. He's always getting his hand up in the passing lane. Uh, Derek Stingley didn't play against us last year. One of the top corners in America will likely be a first-round draft pick. I don't think there's really any question about it. Uh, just eight tackles. Nobody's really really challenging him uh, this year. Doesn't have a pass breakup. Doesn't have a pick. Does have a, uh, a forced fumble. That guy can really, really play. I've been hoping he'd go pro for since the day he got there. That guy's legit. Eli Ricks is a guy that had a big pick against us last year. But was a guy, too, it's like he makes the pick and everybody says, oh, look how good he is. And then you go back and look at our highlights and he's chasing the play over and over and over again. You know, perhaps he's improved a little bit, but uh, played in three games, just got three tackles. He does have an interception. But, uh, you know, not a guy at this point that you look at and say, hey, this guy's a guy that can shut down that side of the field. Todd Harris Jr. hadn't played much. Jay Ward's a guy that got lit up against us last year. Has not played. Orsron says they need him to play. They hope that he can go this week. He's only played in one game this year and only has two tackles. But make no mistake, this is a very athletic defense from LSU, especially up front. And you would expect that with Orsron. With his ability to recruit and develop players in the NFL, it's kind of his specialty. So they ordinarily have been really strong at linebacker, and it's interesting they call themselves DBU. I've always thought their linebackers really had better NFL careers. And there's been some guys, obviously, that have played a long time uh, as defensive backs. But I've always thought the strength of, the, of an LSU defense has been the linebackers. This is a good group. I don't know if it's an elite group, but it is a very good group. All right, look at some offensive numbers here. These are some of the things you look at, too. And, you, and it kind of illustrates, too, how important it is, you know, this whole John Emery thing. You know, that John Emery is unavailable to LSU. Not that he has been – you know, Kevin Falk or anything like that. He has been, you know, rather average. But they are really struggling to run the football. Football. So, Kiner – or, excuse me, Corey Kiner, 130 yards, leads them in rushing. Tyron Davis-Price, expected to start again this week, has played three games, leads a team and carries with 27, only has 72 yards, averaging 2.7 yards a carry. And here's the thing, too. We talk about 72 yards, 21 of that on one carry. 21. You begin to do the math on that, yeah, that's right. 64 yards on 26 other carries. They are not running the football. Not with any success. Max Johnson, uh, you know, three games, 20 attempts, and uh, some of those have been sacks, obviously. 40. He's got a net of negative 20, averaging a yard a carry. Had one, one uh, run for 12 yards. All right, let's uh, look at the passing numbers. Mac Johnson here, you know, former – former, the son of former Washington Redskins quarterback Brad Johnson, I guess the Washington football team now. I don't want to be accused of, uh, of being inappropriate. Mac Johnson, though, comes from an NFL pedigree and has really played pretty well. He's 70 of 108 with two picks. That's just under 65%. 864 yards, 11 touchdowns. Uh, averaging 288 yards a game. Uh, Kashan Butte is the guy they like to line up in a slot, getting paired up with a nickel. He has been kind of the straw that has stirred the drink. He's got 20 grabs. The guy can really, really play. 
really shows no regard for his own personal safety. He will go make the difficult catch. There are a lot of guys who are scared to get down and dirty, not Boutte. And just kind of stands to reason. He's another one of those, you know, South Louisiana, or South Louisiana kids with South Louisiana roots that understands what it takes. Got to make sure we keep a, you know, keep a, Jalen Green's got to have a big game. Let's just say that. Uh, Trey Palmer, two games played, 10 catches. Jack Bash is the guy we recruited, but obviously he's an LSU legacy. We always knew once LSU offered, it's where he was going. There were some people that suggested it otherwise. Let me tell you, there was never any chance of him coming to Mississippi State once LSU offered. Deion Smith, uh, two games played, seven catches, 148 yards. Uh, had a nice ball game last weekend for him. Found the end zone a couple times. Devontae Lee is a guy that was kind of highly recruited. Hadn't done a whole lot yet. Just five grabs, 47 yards. But you look at the numbers, you know, and it's mainly coming, you know, from Butte and, um, you know, a couple other guys. They spread the ball around a little bit. But, you know, Jare Jenkins hadn't done a whole lot. You know, there's just some guys out there that have done – Malik Neighbors, former Mississippi State commitment, we lose on signing day. Uh, three games in, despite the fact they played McNeese State, he's got one catch for six yards. That's it. And, again, he'll end up being a great player at LSU. But it's one of those things, too. It's like, hey, you know, we want him as a DB. Oh, we'll take him as a receiver now. And I won't be the least bit surprised if he's back at DB next year. It'll be interesting to see for sure. Those are things you kind of look at, too. I mean, all is fair in Levin Warren recruiting, except for impermissible benefits. But there's just so much stuff that goes on and so many promises that are made and that are rarely kept. Okay, so let me look at the um, – I'm kind of scrolling down to the special team stuff here because I want to look again at this kick stuff because I think it's rather interesting how people are going to handle us, how, how people are going to be able to do Tula Griffin. What are they going to do to kind of keep – Tulu Griffin curtailed. Yeah, but they, they have some good specialists at LSU. Uh, Cade York is kind of the, the field goal kicking guy. He is a four for four on the year. He's actually hit one, hit a couple from over 50 yards this year, along of 56. That's something to kind of consider, too. Uh, Avery Atkins, the punter, 17 punts, averaging right at 41 yards per punt. Kickoffs, York has done a couple. But it's mainly been Avery Atkins, 19, 15 of those for touchbacks. And so I'm sure that will just be the game plan, just kind of kick it through the back of the end zone. Another interesting thing, kind of looking at LSU, two turnover numbers. You know, this is not a defense that has really, you know, created a lot of turnovers. That's something to kind of watch as we kind of move forward, too, is, you know, they've had a couple of picks. But outside of that, they just haven't been very opportunistic. The uh, what's interesting, LSU has fumbled the football four times and uh, uh, not, and they've recovered all four. And then opponents have fumbled twice. So LSU has uh, created four turnovers on the year in three ball games, and a couple of those against opponents that were really all three of them should have been overmatched. But we'll see. But you know, the more that I think about it and you know look at the numbers and talk to uh, other people. I think this is, just like Vegas suggests, this is going to be a very close ball game. I, this is not the LSU of old, as, as all of you guys know. And uh, earlier in the week, I'm thinking, oh, you know, we'll probably lose by 10. I just don't know how I feel about that anymore. I mean, it's like you, you go back and watch LSU in that UCLA game, and granted it was the first game, they looked lost. They really did. And I thought UCLA kind of bullied LSU, and you don't expect that. Maybe it was jet lag. You know, maybe they just were underprepared. Maybe they expected UCLA to lay down. But UCLA got them. They did. McNeese hung in there for a while. Maybe that's a bit of a hangover game. I don't know. Maybe because Frank Wilson's there or his run didn't want to run it up. But Ed needs to run it up. Uh, 
But again, the first half of Central Michigan, LSU, very, very efficient. And then they kind of coasted in the second half to put that game away. But they're going to come out and give us their best shot. There's no doubt about that. Those guys want blood. They want revenge. Orgeron himself wants it. He said himself he was embarrassed as a football coach and takes full responsibility for it. But he also admits they've had some busts in coverage. And he goes, we got to get that cleaned up because I know Mike Leach and Mississippi State are going to find it. Now, here's the deal. I know they would love to come in here and beat us 65 to nothing. I just don't know if they're capable of doing that. Are they capable of beating us? Yes. But I just don't think, you know, with their inability to run the football, despite the fact that they have made a commitment to run the football, they have not been able to do it. And it makes you a little bit one-dimensional. And you begin to think about matchups. Okay, Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes, you know, we're paired up against, uh, you know, a couple guys that uh, are going to be pretty legit, you know, in Boutte and Smith. But if, if they throw it a lot, we're going to catch some of it. You know, they're not as controlled in the passing game as suggested as perhaps that we are. Now, you got to be smart around Derek Stingley. You get loose and fast with him, it's going to be going the other direction. You know, he'll be putting you on Sports Center. But I do think this game is going to be very interesting because I think that Zach Arnett, I think, I don't care what anybody says or does, I know that Arnett wants to look good against LSU. I, I just know that. And I know that, that we will bring some pressure, some exotic pressure. Now, what's interesting, too, is LSU really hadn't had a lot of sacks. They, they picked up some last week. You know, that, and a lot of it, too, is they've, they've kind of been banged up a little bit. You know, Ali was out. And uh, you know, we'll see how things progress. I suspect, rather than kind of sit back and let us pick them apart, they're going to try to dictate terms to us. I suspect that we're going to see a lot of LSU pass rush. And we've talked before about them putting in some zone. I think it'll be a situational type thing. I think they're going to want to win on first down and kind of put us behind the chains and then drop back into zone and play some cloud coverage. So I expect them to really bring the heat early on Will Rogers. I think they're going to disguise some things. I think they're going to get in his face. And they're going to try to make him uncomfortable. I think that is exactly what's going to happen. And how we handle that pressure – I think it's going to determine the ball game. If they bring the heat and have to go man and we burn them, then they'll stop doing it. And it's the same thing, you know, when guys are in the zone, and all of a sudden you can run them out of the zone, but a lot of people are kind of content to say, you know what, this is what we have to do against Mississippi State. I think there is some ego involved in this whole thing with that origin. I think he was bruised last year. And if you know anything about Coach O, he's not a bend but don't break guy. This is a guy that wants to kind of break your will. He does. So I expect them to really, really, really come after us hard early in the ballgame. I think they'll try to hit a big shot early. They'll have some gadget play or trick play, try to take the game out of it and kind of get us on our heels a little bit. And it's one of those things that you begin to think about. If we can survive the first quarter, then we got a chance to win this ballgame. Now we go down 14-0 in the ballgame and all of a sudden, you know, we're chasing the game. We're in trouble. If we go down there and score early, we take a lead in that first quarter, I think we're going to win the game. I think you got to survive. I think, again, they're going to come out filled with emotion um, and, and ready to roll. But that only sustains you for so long. At some point, you got to play football. So we have to survive that first quarter. All right, it's time for the final segment of the show, brought to you by Portico. Great people, great people to work with. You know, Brooks Bryan's involved with this group. It's a great group that's brought this great residential development to Starkville. I've shared with you guys many times, if I was moving to Starkville now, 
this is where I would move. Now, when I first moved up here, I didn't want to be in a neighborhood. Now, I'd been out here in the sticks for a while. I'd kind of like to be in a neighborhood, a lot less grass to mow, right? But also, too, I mean, just being close to campus, 1.1 miles from campus. You can't beat it. And it's on the better side of campus. And what I mean by that is, is that's the side where things are a little quieter. You know, you don't have, you know, the hustle and bustle of everything right there where Bly Jack and all that come together. And there's a lot of business and commerce right there. But I, I would want to live there. I'd love to live out there at Portico. Again, it's you come off of 82 onto 12, and you take that first right on the Patch Station Road, you cross over all West Point Road, boom, your new home right there. So whether it's your primary residence or an investment property or your home away from home, maybe it's your ball game retreat place, a place that you can keep all your tailgate and gear and not have to lug that stuff back and forth from Jackson or Tupelo or Birmingham or whatever, it's time to invest in Starkville. It's time to invest and having a place here. We'd love for you to be our neighbor. Many people have said, you know what, I may retire there. Well, this is a great opportunity for you to do so. To get more information, call Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog Brooks Bryan. I've told you guys before, the guy's got a lot of good stories. He'll tell you some good baseball stuff too. And he'll he'd probably tell you by the time we beat Washington and went to Omaha. He was a big part of that. So Brooks Bryan's phone number is 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, today's Bulldog Hero is a guy that I actually spoke to earlier this week. He will be in town this Friday for the M-Club Hall of Fame Gala. If you are in town, maybe you're coming down, hey, this is a great opportunity we got a morning game. Most of you are going to spend the night Friday night. You're like, hey, what am I going to do Friday night? Well, come to the M Club Hall of Fame Gala at the Humphrey Coliseum. You can get your tickets. Okay, you can visit that. If I've written some articles, and there's a link in the bottom of those articles on Gene's page about the M Club Gala. Or you can just search M Club Gala on Google and buy tickets. And uh, we're going to induct this great class. And Bob Tyler, Coach Bob Tyler, is part of that class. I had a chance to visit with him, and uh, every time that I have spoken to Coach, he, his face, his voice, his countenance, everything lights up when he talks about Mississippi State. Let me give you a little backstory too, for those of you guys that don't know. So Bob Tower didn't play college football. He loved fo- football, but he didn't play college football. He was actually, you know, a student at Ole Miss. That's what he was. You know, and back in those days, too, I mean, there were a lot of people, that's what they did. You know, they went to you know, they went to Mississippi State or they went to Ole Miss and they began life. And I think it's interesting. He goes up there and he wasn't one of the guys. And ultimately that cost him. You know, originally from Water Valley, was a great player and um, spent some time at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and then went to the University of Mississippi. Of course, didn't play college football. And then basically went to work coaching high school football and uh, was coaching the North-South game and got a phone call from Johnny Vaught about a quarterback by the name of Archie Manning. And Bob Tyler was kind of instrumental and said, hey, this kid can really play. So they take him. And, you know, the rest, in many respects, is history. And then, of course, uh, those two guys were reunited, you know, at Ole Miss. But so when Tyler was at Ole Miss, Johnny Vaught and he kind of saw life the same way. They saw offense the same way. They saw 
strength and conditioning, off-season workouts, kind of the same way. And so he coached the wide receivers for Johnny Vaught. But there were a lot of people, because most of Johnny Vaught's staff, you know, were former Ole Miss players. And, you know, at that time, too, Ole Miss playing really well. And so that really kind of kept it in the family. And there were a lot of people that kind of treated Bob Tyler as a bit of an outsider. And so when John Vaught got ready to retire, he had told people that Bob Tyler was kind of the coach in waiting, that it was his wish to allow Bob Tyler to take over the program. Well, that's not what happened. You know, the Kennard brothers get involved, and next thing you know, I guess it was Billy Kennard became the AD, hired his brother, Bruiser Kennard, because, again, it's, it's one of their own, right, to keep him in the family. This happens in, I guess, the uh, – following the 1970 season coach Vaught had gotten really sick he actually came back later uh, and kind of you know, took over after the canard uh, experiment failed and bob tower left and went to the university of alabama now i've been told by a couple people close to coach that he left because he just felt like there wasn't going to be a future at Ole miss because he wasn't one of the guys he didn't play football at Ole miss and uh, was always kind of treated as a little bit of an outsider. And with Coach Vaught gone, he needed to find something else to do. So he, he was fortunate enough to be on the staff at the University of Alabama in 1971 with Coach Paul Bear Bryant. Had a great year there. Learned a lot, he tells me. And then he comes to Mississippi State as the offensive coordinator in 1972. Now, what's interesting about that is he basically came – we talked about the whole coach and wedding thing, you know, at Ole Miss – when Bob Tyler came to Mississippi State, he came as with the understanding, hey, you come in and you put in your offense and then uh, you'll be the head coach, you know, once uh, Coach Shira is done. And so that was kind of the deal. And then, uh, you know, Coach Shira, of course, you know, stayed on as the athletic director, but Bob Tyler was – the head football coach. And that's when things really begin to change for Mississippi State. Things changed in, in, in many ways. Because Bob Tyler had recruited for Ole Miss and Alabama, he kind of understood what was taking place. He kind of understood the selling points of those schools and what they were using to kind of sell against us, what the detriments of Mississippi State were. You know, what were the things that maybe we didn't see on the inside? And Bob Tower said he always wanted a Mississippi State job. He came in. He changed how we recruited. And as a result, changed how we played. And listen, and I've talked to several former players. In many respects, off-season conditioning for football prior to Bob Tyler was kind of optional. It's like, yeah, they did some things, but there wasn't like a comprehensive strength and conditioning program. Well, Bob Tower changed that. He brought a lot of things that he learned at the University of Alabama to Mississippi State. And I've interviewed Howard Lewis and Rocky Falker, and Howard Lewis told me they had this uh, pre-camp, and I think Ray Perkins is the one that instrument, that uh, that implemented it at Mississippi State. And so Howard Lewis told me that he that, that was so difficult. I mean, that was back when they had hot boxes and everything else. That he said, if I could survive that, I could survive anything in life. But he brought a real toughness to Mississippi State, not just on the recruiting trail, from the football field, and what you know, which is incredible too. So the very first year at Mississippi State, we tie the first game against Northeast Louisiana. Everybody's like, oh, here we go again. Well, then we 
just absolutely destroyed Vanderbilt in week two, 52-21. We go to Jackson to take on number 16, Florida, and we blow them out, 33-12. We get blown out the next week by Kentucky, and then we go to Florida State, and we blow out Florida State, 37-12. Then we go to Louisville, Kentucky, and blow them out at their place. So I guess we won 18-7. And then we lost out the rest of the year. We had a tie against Southern Miss, and then uh, we lose the Egg Bowl 38-10 which is interesting, and I'm sure that kind of, um, you know, kind of stuck in the craw of one Bob Tyler. When 74, we had one of the best seasons we'd had since the 1940s. You come out, you beat William and Mary, and then we go to, to uh, Jackson, and we route Georgia, 38-14. We go to Gainesville, they get their revenge, 29-13, and then we rattle off four wins in a row, Kansas State, Lamar, Memphis State, and Louisville. We lose at number four, Alabama, and then we lose at home to number 10, Auburn, 24-20. We should have won that game too. And then we beat LSU, Ole Miss, and then win the Sun Bowl, the only the only fourth bowl win in Mississippi State history. Bob Tyler eventually became the athletic director at Mississippi State where he says that that allowed him to kind of control the atmosphere, not just for Mississippi State football players, but student athletes across the campus. And I tweeted this out because I thought the comment was so profound. He goes, you know, as a player, as a coach, everything you do in your daily life has to lean towards the scoreboard. Everything has got to be about winning. What am I doing today to win? What am I doing today to get better? And that's become a cliche, you know, because sometimes it's not always physical fitness. You know, sometimes it's sharpening the saw. Sometimes it's learning a little bit about, you know, your opponent. But everything you do has got to be about making the scoreboard lean in your favor. So Bob Tyler will be inducted this weekend, and uh, I'll be there to see it. I'm really excited to see Coach again. It has been my honor to interview these recipients of the Hall of Fame inductions. Bobby Thickman, of course, part of that too, and uh, you know Ray White. There's just it's a great class, and uh, we have done such a great job. So if you're going to be in town, maybe come out and check it out. It is a business casual event, so you know don't show up with a. Uh, you know, legalize marijuana T-shirts, cut off blue jeans and flip-flops, and expect to get in. I mean, let's show some respect to the to the event uh, and to the recipients, the inductees of the M Club Hall of Fame. I'm excited to get there. I'm excited to see everybody. And uh, again, it's one of those things too. I guess because of my love for Mississippi State and my appreciation for our history. Anytime that we get a chance to hear anything from those who wore the maroon and white or those who coached here. You got to listen. You got to really perk up your ears and listen. Because one day those stories are going to be gone forever. And so we need to get as much wisdom from them as we possibly can. We absolutely do. And uh, Bob Tower tells me that his years at Mississippi State were the greatest years of his life. And that going into the Hall of Fame was the highlight of his coaching career. And that guy has coached all over, all over the state. And a great man. The, the Mississippi State Recruiting Lounge at Davis Wade Stadium is called the Bob Tyler Recruiting Lounge in his honor. That's a really cool thing. That's going to do it for today, man. Thank you guys so much for your support. Go to dogpilethebook.com today and pre-order your copies of the book. We'll have a release date soon. We'll have them out to you before Christmas. Uh, we will have them to you before Christmas. So I know many of you are thinking, I want to get this, but I'd love to be able to kind of go grab it to make sure you get a book. You need to go through dogpiledthebook.com, and all pre-orders will be signed. If you want it personalized, use the notes section. Some of you are messaging me 
I am not going to remember. So go to, if, you, if you've already ordered and you didn't get it personalized, go to the Contact Us link on that website and send the note. And it's going to require a little work, but they will pair it up for you. But when you're ordering, just go through the note section and say, this is what I want the book to say. But if you just want it signed, it's going to be signed. There's no problem with that at all whatsoever. While you're there, you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and some of you are, I get messages almost every day, it seems, people looking for it. You can find that at Amazon, Books a Million, BarnesandNoble.com. Personalized copies available through Bookmart and Cafe here in Starkville. Lemuria Books has it, Turnrow Books in Greenwood. Any great bookstore across this great land of ours can get Blooms of Oleander for you. Just tell them, do you want to order Blooms of Oleander by Steve Robertson? And they can handle it for you. Again, thanks so much for your support all these many years. If you're not a subscriber to jeanspage.com, you should be. Come check us out. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.